You're listening to SM Media, the number one place for exclusive Scottish football content. Hi folks and welcome to this week's edition of the Scottish Football Show Extra right here on SM Media. I'm Scott with Pike, it's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We thought we were a busy week previous, we were going to do a wee extra show this weekend. Obviously we are also going to talk about the the VAR launch that's going to take place tonight. As we, rec- we record this, the Thursday night show is going to be out on Friday morning. So tonight we'll see Hibs face St Johnston, the first game with the new VAR equipment in place. I am delighted to welcome as my special guest to this week's show. It's a pleasure to welcome on former SFA referee Des Roach. Des, welcome on to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Scott, not at all. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, as I say, I'm happy to give an opinion and whether people agree with it, disagree with it, hey, that's why we enjoy football. So, no, thank you very much for the invitation. No, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to this one. We're going to talk about VAR later on. There is quite a wee bit where I kind of want to ask you and get your opinion on and basically just... Because I, I am very similar to probably a lot of people watching this. There's a lot of things I kind of want to know and get a bit clued up on because VAR is going to be quite dominating in a lot of football games we're watching the Premiership over the next few months. So it's going to, I'm keen to get a referee's side of it. But we had a busy midweek of League Cup action with four quarter finals with four teams booking their place at Hamden for the semi-finals in January. We will start on Tuesday night. Kilmarnock booked their first semi-final of a cup since 2011. A very hard-fought 2-1 win over Dundee United. Kyle Lafferty put Kilmarnock ahead with a penalty. Dundee United equalised almost straight away through Glenn Middleton, but it was Danny Armstrong, the Kilmarnock-informed midfielder, who rescued the win for Kilmarnock with a 73rd-minute header and booked Derek McInnes' side a spot in the semi-final though obviously the reward for that is a game against Celtic Des this was as, as frantic a cup quarter-final as you could hope to see I actually thoroughly enjoyed this game I thought it was great the fact that it's Kelly's first semi-final in 10 years is I think it's definitely shown the influence of uh, Derek McInnes absolutely shown it him him and Doc to get promotion and get a semi-final within their, their first year of being down at Rugby Park. I think it's a, a tremendous achievement. Um, we're talking about being as competitive as you like. Well, after only 10 minutes, the score was one each. Yeah. So I don't really think you can go off to a, to a faster start than that. Um, uh, again, we'll talk about the competitiveness of it. There were seven yellow cards in the game. So mm-hmm. it shows that both teams were as, as committed as one another. There was no red cards, but both teams were playing the game in the right spirit as you'd expect in a quarter final the the, the rewards that are, that are there for them to go for um yeah i thought it was i thought it was absolutely fantastic um one each at half time all to play for couple of incidents during the game that you can probably look at um i thought glenn middleton's goal was fantastic yeah. on the turn whipping it right across the goal um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really exciting affair. I want to get your thoughts on the the first goal of the game, the penalty kick. It's it's a difficult one. It's not very often I totally agree with Michael Stewart, but I did hear. I think the I think he's very unlucky. Liam Smith 
can he get his hand out of the way of that? So for me, um, from the comments that, that I've made previously, you, you look at the proximity of the shot and does the defender have the opportunity for the ball not to hit his arm? And I don't believe he does. Mm-hmm. I think Lafferty's hit the ball. It's a below the T-shirt line. <laughs> I think yeah. we've heard numerous times. It's harsh. But I think get cut, given the current directive, I wouldn't be jumping in to give a penalty kick uh, on that occasion. I think Kilmarnock were, were fortunate. But in football games, you make your own luck and you, you concede your own luck in, on occasions. And you just hope that... I know they say that Ireland played through over a season, but I wouldn't like that to go against my team in a, a quarter final. No, absolutely not. But as we say, it's a massive win for Kilmarnock. It's obviously a big a big game for the club as well, getting their first semi-final since 2011. Obviously, Kyle Lafferty got the first penalty, but he's now been suspended for 10 games. We don't want to get too much into the, the F-bots and maybes of what happened, but what's your thoughts on the, the length of suspension? Do you think that is the kind of correct punishment for something like this? I, I think I, I don't want to be controversial here or, or dodging a question. I think that everybody in this day and age look at all forms of discrimination against what it is. I think it has to be treated harshly. Uh, I think it has to be, be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And be seen as a forum to say that any of these comments, no matter how you make it, uh, shouldn't be acceptable. Um, so... It's not me to say it's too harsh or not, but I do believe that any form of discrimination should be should be dealt with, um, and it's a it's a, a gauging point for going further and hopefully a deterrent for anyone going any further and looking at those kind of situations. I think you've hit a spot, and I think it is more of a an example case of if you do something like this, this is the punishment. Maybe ten games is too. I don't know, but it's not for me to say. But I think it's exactly that. I think it's an example of if you if you do any form of discrimination, this is the this is the punishment, and I totally agree with that. I think it's I think there has to be an example made. It's it's a difficult one because I, you're going to see a lot of what about today about other things that have maybe been said over the time. It's it's happened. We got on with it, and I think Kyle Lafferty will be. Probably desperate to get those ten games over quickly and just learn learn a lesson and move on from it. And as and as we say, he scores the penalty. For example, the big thing I've had with Kamala this season is they've not been scoring goals. A goal, a, a, even scoring a penalty could have done wonders for his confidence and even Kamala's confidence as well. Because I felt in the United would maybe feel hard done by not to get anything from the game because it was so tight. It was so tight. Both teams probably deserved. I mean, it's hard to pick a, we need a win or a loser in these type of games. And I think if either one had won the game, I don't think they would have been, they would have been undeserving of it. Not from what I've seen. And, uh, it was only uh, the, the, the clips and the sort of extended highlights that I watched. Uh, I think Dundee United, um, under Liam Fox, he's got to be given time. He's got to be given his own chance to imprint upon his, upon his team. Um I thought, I mean, when you've got players like Middleton, you've got um, uh, Fletcher, you've got Watt, you've got, you've got entertaining players there. So, no, absolutely, I think it was a, a very good, hard-fought 2-1 win for, for Kilmarnock. I don't think anyone can say they didn't deserve it. 
uh, in all all the best and congratulations to to one of my sort of local neighbours, Derek, and hope he does well. In, yeah, absolutely. Semi final, absolutely. Commander's reward for that was a game against Celtic. Celtic obviously booked a place in the semi final. A very comfortable four 0 second half win over Motherwell. Now, Leila Bada gave Celtic the lead just before half time. So, but the second half, Celtic just put it up a gear. Scoring the first goal just before half time, I think just I think Motherwell deserve a lot of credit for their first half resolve. But Celtic getting that first goal would just open the floodgates in the second half. I thought Celtic were impressive in the second half. Just the way they're knocking the ball about. I thought Hatati was magnificent. Just the way, and I've been I've not been overly impressed with him. After his wee boss, the, the the kind of middle of last season when he came in, but he's the past few weeks he's kicked up another gear. I think the World Cup will certainly be having an influence on his performances. He will want to be in the Japan squad, but just Celtic's overall performance in the second half it was it was impressive to watch. It was actually something I think Celtic have been really looking to do the past few weeks. Have struggled with injuries, have struggled to get performances. Habs were impressive on Saturday. Another good performance here in the second half. I really enjoyed watching Celtic uh, last night. I think you've used a few of the words that I would I would use to explain myself. I think Celtic were extremely dominant in the game. Um, looking at the statistics, they had 19 shots in goal with nine on target. Yeah, they probably a bit lower possession wise. They only had 64 percent possession, but possession is only incumbent upon what you do with that possession. Yeah. So if they're going and, going and scoring four goals, um, I'll come on to Hatati in a minute. I think in that um, Yogo and Abada, I think the two of them are looking really, really good at the moment. If Yogo had um, taken his chances in the first half, yeah. now there, was, there was a fantastic save by Liam Kelly, which yeah. was outstanding. But if you think that Kyogo it was a hat trick in the first half allied to the to the Abada one the game's out of sight but actually is, there is no game but that's not to say that Celtic wouldn't have continued a upward trajectory in the centre half um, the second goal from Abada I think that was pivotable pivot, pivotable in the game uh, Greg Taylor he's got in he's sorry he's created the first goal but the Abada second goal He's actually controlled a half volley into the corner. He's not shot. Yeah. He's not hitting hope. He's passed the ball into that corner in a in a direct motion, which is a a great skill for anybody. Never mind a young guy, young twenty year old is really making his way in the game. Hatati, I agree with you. I think halfway through last season, he took a he took a dip, but I think that was also referenced by the fact that. He's so young and he's not had a break yeah. for such a long time. But the goal that he scored, I mean, he showed class there. He's used his body to get in front of the defender extremely, extremely well. But how fast were those feet? It was like Michael Flatley on yeah, his dance stage. Yeah, it, it was. It was incredible. Yeah, and he's got that ability in him. And that's what I'm, we'll come on to Rangers in a couple of minutes, what I think Rangers are badly missing. Hatati's got that ability to just be a ball carrier and he's got that quick feet. Just I couldn't imagine being a defender against that because you you don't know what way he's going. And when you've got that quick feet, you just you're so far ahead of your opposition. And I mean Kyogo, the thing that impressed me with Celtic last night was, and this is the big difference for me at the moment between Celtic and Rangers, Kyogo was, as you say, he was he was missing chances in the first half. 
that team were trying to get him a goal as badly, and that's yeah. that's what they were keeping going for. It was all about, and it was this excellent kind of we never stop that Ange talks about so often. You saw that last night; they were just so desperate to get Kyogo's goal. When you saw that when he scored the goal, just the relief I think of the whole the whole team and even the support yeah. as well. Just that if anybody deserved a goal, it was probably Kyogo. But that's what stood out to me. We said that's what stands out to me for Celtic as it's not they don't stop. It's all get as many goals as possible, as you say in in Saturday. Score six. That game was Celtic could have just took the foot off the gas at two 0 They didn't. They kept going. They get their goals, and that is the big difference for me at the moment between the two old firm clubs. Yeah, well, as a reference, it's a, a couple of moments ago. If Celtic, if Kyogo had a hat trick and Abada had scored one, four goals at half time, yeah, the game's out of sight. But do I think they would give up that relentlessness? Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. No. Absolutely not. And then you look at Abada, he was really unfortunate to hit the post because it was a it was a great effort. But who's the first person following it up? It's Kyogo. Exactly. If he if he's missed three I wouldn't say golden opportunity, but if he's missed three good chances in the first half, a lot of clubs would have then went, Well, do you know what? We'll take him off, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll wrap him in cotton wool. No, they wanted him to score. And he, he deserved his goal. He was so alert. He, in fact, I, I don't think there was any Motherwell player within sort of five, six yards of him. It was an, op- an open goal for him. And as you said as well, you look at the relief amongst the Celtic players and the Celtic fans, everything for him. This is a, a team that are working so hard for one another. It's not like it used to be maybe a couple of years ago when you had a couple of driving forces in the team. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've got Callum McGregor as a driving force. Yes, you've got Carter Vickers as a driving force. Joe Hart to an extent as well. They're all working so hard for one another. And um, no, I think it was to be 1-0 ahead at half time, to come out with 4-0 and thinking we've actually missed three as well. Um, 10 goals in two games it's extremely dominant in this moment in time yeah and it's even that as well like Motherwell I thought Motherwell were very very good in their resolve in the first half I thought they were they were they weren't it wasn't all part of the bus and try and stop Celtic they were trying to get forward a couple of times missed a missed a, missed a good chance maybe half an hour in they were unlucky not to go in front but just it was it's so difficult when you, when you lose that goal to Celtic and you need to then chase the game. You open up your you open up your midfield and likes a Hitati and O'Reilly who just have that ability just to to create space, attack space. It's so hard for for Motherwell to to break that. I think I think O'Reilly and I know when you read websites and newspapers, he's attracting a lot of attention from England. It's unsurprising that he's yes. attacked a lot because he's he's so composed on the ball. What he may lack for in physical speed, etc., he makes up for an ability. But listen. He won't be the only Celtic player attracting attention elsewhere no. at this moment in time. No, he absolutely won't. But obviously Celtic get into the semi-final. Aberdeen also put their place in the semi-final. Another very similar dominant display. 4-1-1 over Partick Thistle. They were 3-0 up at half-time. Duke, an own goal, and Hayden Coulson made it 3. Partick Thistle got a lifeline with Brownlee, but then uh, Teddy Duncan made it 4-1. And Aberdeen are in the semi-final. I think with Aberdeen, they can be very... They can be very difficult to predict. One week they can be very hard to to get your finger on, but they also have performances like this in them. They were very very impressive in the first half. That just that ability just to to play. I mean, Jim Goodwin obviously has his way of the way he wants to play football, and the first half it worked to a tee. Yeah, I listened to his interviews post match. Um, but straight away, 
Aberdeen are three 0 up at half time. So you've got the crowd behind you, Aberdeen. There's expectation as a club at Aberdeen. The um, Derek McInnes delivered for a number of years, then had a couple of a couple of years that would be a bit maybe slower. Jim Goodwin's had a wee bit of an up and down start. He's maybe getting his influence across the team a lot better. But to be three 0 up at half time, Thistle potentially are really playing for pride um, but that's the type of performance that Aberdeen and Jim Goodwin they needed it um, I know they made two changes at half time with uh, Mielski mm-hmm. centre forward who I, I've been really impressed with this yeah, year yeah I have as well really impressed uh, and Hayden Coulson as well um, they've had wee knocks over so again I think that's good management from Jim by thinking well ties potentially won mm-hmm. Like, let's save them for another day. Um, but I think the boy Coulson's looking, he's looking good. He stood out, he stood out a lot. And he's, they've got this, Aberdeen have this good record, they're kind of bringing young, young English players in, like so obviously Madison in the past, they've got that there, the boy Leighton Clarkson. Coulson's another one, like you look at players who can come in and hit the ground running straight away. And that's Aberdeen teams, the, the ability they've got, like Duke, for example, Duke, you can tell he's raw. But with a kind of team in there, you've got the likes of Miofsky, you've got some good international experience. I like the, the other uh, Macedonian boys at uh, Ben Junior, I think. Ben Zwayan. Uh, ben Zwayan, yeah. He's a good, there's, there's good players in that team. And having having these young players that you can build up and progress with, with players in there who are going to play with, play with each other, play within themselves, there's a good, there's a good potential for these players to really kick on under, in this team. Well, Aberdeen, Aberdeen are almost in a, a, a unique position where they're out with the old firm, they're out with the central belt, mm-hmm. they've got good backing from the club, so they can offer clubs in England. If, if, if Celtic and Rangers went to a Middlesbrough, etc., and say, look, we're going to bring Hayden Coulson up here, how many games is he definitely going to play? Exactly. If he goes to Aberdeen, Jim Goodwin say, well, I'll guarantee you he's going to play 20 games I'll guarantee you he'll get X amount of minutes. Then that's going to benefit Aberdeen as a team. Then it's going to benefit the loan club that they've taken them from as a team. Mm-hmm. And you're building relationships. You're building things going forward. And it will give Aberdeen time to create. They'll also bring through their own youth players. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that can that can mix in jail. But uh, no, Coulson's been very impressive. Majowski been very impressive. I think Jim last night said when... Aberdeen played three at the back in the first half, which has been his tended formation for the past couple of weeks. It was all working well. He then changed it to a four at the back, which restricted the movement. Um, and I, I thought it was great to say, he goes, well, I'll take the blame for that. But you don't need to take the blame for it. You've just won a quarter final and got yourself into a semi-final. Exactly. And you're getting Aberdeen back to Hamden Park at a national semi-final. Job done. Absolutely, yeah. Big result for Aberdeen Bookselling a place in the semi-final. The final quarter-final of the week, midweek was Rangers 1, Dundee 0. Rangers took the lead after 10 minutes through Stephen Davis and that was all that happened in that game. Now, where do we start here? I mean, a week ago, we were sitting watching Rangers put in a good first half against Liverpool. And then, obviously, the wheels fell off. But since then, we've seen two... We've seen 180 minutes of Rangers and there has been no positivity. There's been nothing to give a Rangers fan a, a bit of confidence that the team have 
wanted to put in a shift that just looked it was so laboured, Des. I mean, I watched Celtic and Rangers. I watched Celtic and Rangers within two hours of each other. The difference in intensity could not be more different with the two clubs. Celtic are always trying to get forward. Celtic are relentless, as we say. Rangers were one 0 up after ten minutes against a, a championship side. No disrespect to them. Dundee obviously went there with a game plan. It, it was always going to be a tough ask for Dundee to try and get anything out of the game. But Rangers were just so it, it was just such a nothing performance. That's the best way. There was nothing to that performance. It was just one goal. Rangers they late they dally the dally they tried to get something, but they just there was nothing there. Well, from what I took from the game, um it was the early Steve Davis goal and also the, the attacking sort of pressure they had in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes. That goal should have actually eased them, eased the crowd and set them up. Um, Dundee have lost 16 goals in the championship already. So if you're a team, and bear in mind, Patrick Thistle just got beat 4-1 by Aberdeen the following night, who are top of the championship. Dundee aren't. So you'd expect this to be a, an easier task and I know it's not an easier task. On paper, it should be easier But when you look at the quality of the players, performances ultimately, for me, for me, performances ultimately at the manager's door. He's the one who puts the players out there. He's the one who prepares them. He's the one and his coaching staff mm-hmm. ensure what their instructions are. I just found it Object. I, I I just found that a team of this stature should be doing should be doing great. Oh, not great. Should be doing should be doing better with this. The thing that really that, that really sort of got me was that Gianvanni Van Bronckhurst acknowledged the fans booing the players after a poor yeah, performance. That's what, want, that's what I want to say. But for me, if you're if you're acknowledging booing the players, then one you're acknowledging booing me. Because I'm the one who's ultimately responsible, but players need your players need your support. Players need your building up. You're you're there. You can acknowledge it, but you've got to help someone. I don't go to my work, and if somebody's made a mistake, I want to go right. You need to get better. At this. I tell them how they get better at it, yeah. and I then support them and give them give them further help. Um, I. I I don't know what's going on up there at the moment in time through training and management. I, I, I really don't. I, I really don't know. And I, I think that the pressure is now showing on the players on the pitch. And we can put it down to a lot of things. And I've I've been on record that I don't think recruitment's been good and I could bore everybody to tears by going through that again. But there were a couple of positives from a Rangers perspective. I thought Red Van Yilmaz, I thought he looked really good. Have you just read my notes? <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was that thinking. is that is the positive to take from that game, and that's that leads to the recruitment point. We could we both could see Red Van Yilmaz was was probably the only player in that part desperate to get forward, desperate to make an impact. I always say with cup games, particularly against lower league opposition, it's a massive opportunity for players who don't start every week to make an impact. Now I look at Red Van Yilmaz and think he needs to play on Saturday. He made an impact. You need you need to use you need to utilize that you need to build on that. Now the other side of that coin was Alfredo Morelos, who couldn't have looked less interested to be there. Now I don't know what that what's going on there because I thought at times a few times he's come on this season he's looked eager to 
to get involved. I I want him to play with Antonio Cholak. I want to see how that works, if it can work. But it was almost as if he didn't want to, he, he just didn't want to be. It felt as if it was a punishment starting that game. Now, maybe last season, for example, Alfredo Morelos would be the one starting every league game and another striker would be starting the cup games, for example. But Antonio Cholak's now, he's doing the, he's he's the league. He's the number one striker in the league. He's scoring the goals in the league. So Morelos has found himself in the second choice position. Now, to get yourself back into that first choice position, you need to take advantage of every opportunity. Yilmaz is a perfect example of that. I think Yilmaz is now pushing Barisic more than he's ever pushed. See what yeah. I mean about that other side? And it's just, it's there's a big problem. Now, I don't know what it is. I also have this thing with James Tavernier. He's either injured or he's burned out. Now, if he's injured, and Giovanni Van Bronckhorst said yesterday he wasn't injured, if Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is, knows he's injured and is continuing to play him, he is putting his captain, his only right-back option, in my opinion, because you can... But Adam Devine's a good example. Adam Devine is a, ta- is a, is a young, up-and-coming talent. Adam Devine's not ready to fill that James Tavernier sh- that James Tavernier position, not just in terms of on the pitch. James Tavernier's responsibility as a captain of that club, right? If you're playing James Tavernier knowing he's injured because you've nobody else that can fill that void, you are putting him under severe risk of getting a serious injury. And that is bad recruitment. And I'm going to be honest, it's poor management. I I agree. As I said to you, I think you've read my notes, I said that uh, the Yelma's getting more green time was a massive positive mm. for Rangers. You've made quite a substantial investment in a young man. Now, I know it takes a bit of time to, to settle into a new country and a new culture. But do you know what? See, by going training every day and meeting new people, learning a new language, and then going home, coming back in, getting game time. Yeah. What's that going to what's that going to do your confidence? Exactly. It's it, it's it's going to help you go up. And particularly if you're watching a game that's going on where you think, I can make an impact on that, but I'm not allowed to be making an impact on that. I think that's probably I'm not a manager, I'm not that kind of level. Um, I think that can be detrimental to the to the future development of that player. So last night seeing him getting forward, being aggressive, being on the front foot, wanting the ball, wanting to be involved, then surely the old adage is it's your jersey until you lose it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, there is no reason why he should be he should be losing that uh, that jersey. On James Tavernier, um nobody can question his his commitment to Rangers. That's without doubt. He is an absolutely committed Rangers, probably to the extent where it's it's maybe detrimental to his own self mm-hmm. that he's he's making himself available. He's wanting to play. He's showing that desire. He's showing that commitment that he no gaffer pick me. I'm available. I'm available. But seeing these games, Adam Devine, he's not ready yet. But if you put a, a strong team around him. Can you not nurse a younger player through a cup game against a team, a division below you? Give him extra minutes on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Give him that experience. Do we not used to see that years ago? I mean, Stephen Gerrard became an absolutely fantastic midfielder for Liverpool. Where did he start? Right back. It's feeding players in. It's learning the surroundings, learning with senior players around them and allowing them to take the, the pressure off them. I'll go back to it again. I think everything comes back from the leadership at the top. The leadership at the top is obviously Giovanni Van Bronckhurst. 
but Ross Wilson has to take a, a lot of um, a lot of the pressure off that as well. A lot of the the um, blame's not the right word. It's not a blame culture. A lot of responsibility for what the team required and what the team needed, and I don't think that's been addressed properly. And that's why I want to like when we're talking about Adam Devine. I think it's a I think it's similar to the thing with the situation there with Leon King. Now I'm not I'm not saying Leon King is not a talent. Leon King is more than capable of becoming a first team regular in that Rangers team. But the problem with is now Connor Goldson's in a very Connor Goldson was in a very similar position to James Tavernier. He was playing constantly. Now that's the whole purpose of having a squad, especially when you're in the Champions League. You have games every three days. You need a squad capable of dealing with injuries because players get. We know that we many times, many years have you been involved in football. You see it all the time. The more games, the more fatigue can kick in. Connor Goldson has suffered a a muscle tear. It's probably down to playing a lot of football. Now Leon King is a good prospect. He should not be the only centre centre back available. Now Ben Davis is obviously there as well, but Ben Davis is in a situation as well. He's he's finding his feet. He's coming into a new club, a new surrounding. John Suter and Philip Palander have been injured a lot over the past few years. We know that. Why has the recruitment team not addressed that situation? Why John Suter's a really good player. I am a big fan of John Suter. John Suter's done both knees and he's only 26. He's going to be injury prone. Philip Hollander's had how many injuries in the past few years? He's going to be injury prone. It was great to see Kamar Roof coming back in at the team. Kamar Roof is injury prone. There's a reason he's at Rangers. No disrespect. There's a reason a player of his talent is at Rangers because he picks up a lot of injuries. Ryan Jack, terrific player when fat. He is not fat all the time. These are players who get injured a lot. Rangers need to address that. Rangers have needed to address that since those guys have been in. So yep. how does that happen? How are you how are you left in that position? How are you left that position where Leon King's your only available centre half? James Sands is needing to make shift. If James Tavernier goes out on Saturday, and I really hope and pray I don't wish injury on anybody. But if James Tavernier continues to play and picks up a really bad injury. What do Rangers do there? What, how do Rangers address that and replace a player of that talent who's so vital defensively and offensively? How do you replace that? Quite simply, you can't. You can't replace that. You can't replace that. The the bit with the, the young boy King in defence, what you hope he doesn't experience now is because of the need to play him. You can't expect a young boy who's not fully matured and fully grown in his own body. What's going to happen if he's exposed to the robust nature of Scottish football and European football? You're you're increasing the potential there. Connor Goldson has been a, another one who has been a, a victim of his own success. James mm-hmm. Tavernier, let's hope he doesn't become a victim of his own success. It, it is, it's down to the, the planning above. Um, they also... Remember the let Leon Balogun go at the end of the year, which I would much rather have kept to be part of the squad to cover and fill those those holes that potentially now you can't foresee what injuries are going to happen. I understand that we've yeah. not got a we've not got a crystal ball, but you would think that somebody with experience would think, well, this is my squad. These are the 
the plots that I need to fill, I can I've got four centre half spots available. I've got two a right back and a left back. I can move these here. But if I can turn around and say, well, one, two, three, four, Hollander, Suter, they are injury prone straight away. So first of all, that's that. The second one is why are you recruiting people if you know they're not going to be resilient enough to finish a season? Why are you going to re- go and recruit that? Yeah. And a third section of it for me is what training are you doing during the week to endanger the safety of their longevity and what are the medical team doing to get them back at a substantive time? And that's, but Again, these are questions we do, I can't answer. I'm exactly, not, yeah. But that, you've led a point there about Balogun. Leon Balogun was let go. He's now joined QPR. QPR are top of the championship. For example, Leon Balogun would probably be a, a good player to have about just now when you've got this injury crisis. Nico Katic was allowed to go. The boy Sikowski that Rangers brought, Rangers sold Nathan Patterson in January and replaced him with Matthias Sikowski. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying Matthias Sikowski is anywhere near the level of Nathan Patterson, but you've then left James Tavernier and Adam Devine. You've let Sikowski go out and loan to Poznan, I think it is. You've let a player go and loan instead of protect. That's that must be going through. That's going through my head. Is that why have you let a right back go out and loan when you potentially got a right back who's either injured or fatigued? What I I just don't understand. And, it. and he's a right back that you've invested in to bring in the way rather than look at the the one you've already got and you think he's not ready. Correct. So I'm going to surpass him by bringing somebody in. I think well. Where's the forward thinking in that if you're actually going and bringing him in? Well, for what reason are you bringing him in? It's... Rangers are the wins all that matters. And I think I think the thing with Booze as well is, is that I think they were booing the performance. I think, I mean, it was 10 o'clock on a Wednesday night. It was a cold Wednesday night. It was, it was a late kickoff. I think the fans were just expecting a bit more than what they got. So I understood it. I'm never a fan of fans booing their own team. I've never been a fan of that. I've never agreed with it, but I sort of understand it because of just how flat the performance was. But it's we'll maybe touch on Rangers later on when we do the kind of we'll get predictions for well, the game. As I said, I've got, I've gotten listen. The fans want to boo. Yeah, those are the fans that are paying the money, right? Mm. That's fine. The bit that didn't sit comfortable for me was the manager agreeing Agree, with the booing. Yeah, I don't. If it was me. I'd be turning around and saying, if I'm the manager of Rangers or Forth Athletic and saying, um, what, what did you think, Des, what did you think of the fans doing after the game? What I would say is, I can understand their frustration. However, those guys are given everything they can. Mm-hmm. So continue to encourage, continue to support, yeah. continue to be here, believe in us, trust us, we will turn this around. But to come out and say, no, that's understandable. If we're not playing good enough, then... You, you can do that doesn't sit right to me Aye, I mean I, I can't I can't argue with that I totally agree with it but we are the League Cup is obviously the semi-finals are addressed Kelly play Celtic and Aberdeen play Rangers and we will move into the weekend because we have a very transformational weekend in Scottish football we are now going to see the introduction of the video assistant referee VAR will be introduced tonight Hibs play St. Johnson at Easter Road. It will be the first game with the new VAR technology. Earlier than we thought, we thought we were going to get it after the 
the World Cup in December. It's now been brought forward. I'm keen to get your thoughts on that. Why? Why you think that is, and how that came about? But first things first, we we look at VAR very very different. I think VAR can be used great in some places. I think in other places it's been used pretty weird. I'm sure you'll agree on that. Yeah. Are you a fan of bringing the technology in? Do you think it is the right choice? Do you think it's the right time? And will it benefit the referees in Scotland? I'm a fan of the technology. Absolutely. If what I'm a fan of within refereeing, and obviously having been a previous category one referees, if something gets the decision correct, end of that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. If you get the correct decision. And or if you make if you make the wrong decision, and someone can tell me, Des, you need to come and look at this, and you can you can have a look, and you make your you make your mind up, yes or no. Absolutely, you've got that extra evidence. Where the 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 big crux of the matter for me is, it has to be the technology is correct. The technology is not wrong. It's been tested all over the world. It's the interpretation and the use of the technology and how the, the advice is put to the referee and how the advice is of the referee or the video assistant referee using the technology. Now, what we really need here is referees to have the courage of their conviction to make their call, to have someone talk to you and say, Des, Steve, you need to come across and have a look at this. I think this is a penalty kick or I don't think it's a penalty kick, and for that referee on the side of the pitch to either agree and say, yes, I got it wrong, put my hand up, yeah, no problem, wrong decision, we change it. But also I think it's equally as important for the referee to say, I'm quite happy with my decision, mm-hmm. I'll go with it. Yeah. I've said it long and weary. Refereeing is a, not refereeing, football is a game of skill and error. The players with the best skills will get to the top. The referees with the best skills will get to the top, the ones that make the less errors. But see, when it comes to a goal, it's the team that makes, the team that makes, who has all the skill makes less score the goal. And the defender who makes it or concedes it, as long as it doesn't take that out of it. Now, I know those are the categories that VAR can be involved in and it's mistaken identity, which is very rare. Very yeah. rare. That will only happen a couple of times a year. It is um, all goals will be looked at whether it's a goal or not a goal. Mm-hmm. It's not looking for second yellow cards. It's only looking for straight red cards. Again, absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Because a yellow, a yellow card is a subjective moment in time. It's not fact. It's not, no, that is that is wrong. A yellow card is subjective. It's one opinion against another, which yeah. is allowed. And the final one is what happens in the attacking pathway? Is there a foul happened before the goal got there? Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with that, but it's just how it's going to be applied, um, and that'll be the that'll be the fun and games as of tomorrow night. One interesting thing that, that isn't on that list that I'm very intrigued to get your thoughts on is there is going to be no goal line technology. Now you're saying there about every goal will be checked. You would think for something if that's the case. How many times a year do we see goals potentially going over the line? We again, it's it's very simple now in English football, Spanish football, German football. The referee has a watch; he knows when it's a goal without seeing it. When you're when you're going to this expenditure to bring VAR in, 
why is that not been brought in? Because that seems to me to be another big point that can be under scrutiny because a referee a referee needs all the help they can get. They're getting a big form of help with VAR. Why is goal line technology been brought in? That's one that I just don't get. So from from my understanding and from from what I've been been speaking to folk is VAR will supersede that because of the amount of cameras that are around the ground, they will be able to pick that up whether the ball or hopefully pick it up whether that ball has entirely crossed the line or not. So I think goal line technology came in first, which was only only associated with factual evidence regarding the ball crossing the line or yeah. not. I think with the amount of cameras around the stadium. I think they must feel confident enough because it's Hawkeye who implemented the system, mm-hmm. who implemented goal line technology and who obviously do tennis at Wimbledon, etc. So the fact that they're using their technology and the amount of um, visuals that they have on the game, I can only expect and, and hope that that will supersede what the goal line technology can do and it will encompass it so they will be able to still tell if it's over the line or not. And it will be the VAR officials within the within the hub who will be able to pause that moment and say, mm-hmm. right, yes, goal, no goal, restart, not restart. Um, I can only assume that that's what it's doing, and I certainly hope that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, I mean that's that explains. I think that certainly eases my concerns on it because I think if you are bringing in all this technology, and I think there was a question on our, I can. I think it was a Q&A towards an ex-referee. I don't know who it was, but the first time, one of the first things they were asked was, is goal line technology been? And the answer was no. And I thought, is that, is that it? But when you've explained that, I hope that's the case because that seems to make a lot more sense. The f- Another question I've got on it is, why is it now being brought in a month ahead, two months ahead of schedule? We were told this was going to be after the World Cup. I had concerns about that. I don't think any sort of revolutionary technology should be brought in midway during a season. Why is it being brought forward now? Why is it been deemed this is the right time to start it when it was perceived we weren't going to get this until the 18th of December? Well, first and foremost, I didn't agree with it coming in after the World Cup. I didn't agree with it coming in mid-season because what you do on day one and then it changes on day 18 yeah. doesn't... It, people say, oh, it, it doesn't change the game. No, it doesn't change the game. It changes the way the game is interpreted and it changes the way the laws are applied. So if Livingston versus St Johnston on day two has a penalty decision that leads to a 1-0 win for Team A or Team B, then you have Celtic versus Rangers on week 27 who have the same incident and it's uh, abolished or, or given, then those points differentials, that can lead to teams winning a league and teams losing a league, yeah. teams lead to teams being relegated. They've been relegated under different circumstances from what the games were played in laterally. So it's not for me. It's not a level playing field. Um, I, I really, I really don't see it. I think the reason it has come in is because the technology is available, and I can support it. It's coming in te- technology available, and if we can help teams get the correct decisions, of course, but. As a, as a referee and as a football fan, you either go all in or all out. Mm-hmm. And I know Crawford Allen said, oh, players can players can change teams halfway through a season. 
and we are making a, an improvement to our team. We are making an improvement to our chances of, of performing better. VAR can make an improvement, but VAR doesn't score goals. VAR doesn't. Mm-hmm. VAR just shows. VAR just shows goals. VAR just shows free kicks. I don't agree with it coming in mid-season. I understand why the SFA are under pressure, and I also think another reason they're under pressure is because us being a, a UEFA region and having referees participate as UEFA level referees, we don't get referees into latter stages of competitions because yeah. other nations have it, we don't have it. So we are then going further backward as a yeah. as a nation. Um so I think that that has come into that's come into the, the, the reckoning as well. When you watch English football, and I've been a big advocate of this for the past few years, that since VAR's been introduced in England, I think a lot of English games have become became hard to watch because I think it's used all the time, no matter the situation. You're probably a better person to answer that than, than I am. But any time I watch an English game, for example, and I don't have this thing when I watch a game in Germany or, or Spain or Italy because it seems to be only used when the, the word clear and obvious is addressed. Mm-hmm. VAR in England, I don't think, is used the right way. Would you go along with that? And is that a con- if you do, is that a concern we should have for Scotland? Um, well, the words clear and obvious are paramount up here and as blanket across as across Europe. Um, I think the way the English FA operate it, I think sometimes VAR are too quick or too slow to get involved in clear and obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's clear and obvious, it should be it, it, it should be dealt with within seconds. Mm-hmm. It should be identifiable. Um, whether it's the see the whole millimetre down to the the stud or the heel or whatever. Yeah, that's it, it makes it sterile. Okay, and now mm-hmm. I don't think football should be a sterile sport. I think football should be an opinionated sport. If I have an opinion that that differs to yourself. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If you and I are working as colleagues together and I make an opinion and you turn around and say to me, no, Des, that's wrong. Have a quick look at this. Fine, turn it over, get it going. But yeah. It's this whole momentum and carry on that, that delays the restart and and turns any American sport sometimes where it's you're waiting for all the... See if you can't make a decision in one minute and if you're looking over it from eight different angles and you're discussing it here, there, now and it's not clear and obvious, mm-hmm. get on with it, whether it's for a goal or against the goal. And that's, that kind of leads me to the, the next point. We have obviously heard in the past couple of weeks uh, Ian Maxwell, the Chief Executive for the Scottish FA, saying we need to be patient with this. There's going to be teething problems. It's going to take three months for this to really kick in. We live in a world where technology is advancing all the time, and we... We're human beings. We make human error. I understand that. But you know as well as I do, Scottish football, when it comes to referees, is cutthroat, brutal. It is constant. We're both in social media. We see it. Every decision is under scrutiny. Is Ian Maxwell right to come out and say that this this new revolutionary technology, it's going to be a bit of a shambles for the first three months? Or should he have just kept quiet in that regard and just let what's hap- what's going to happen happen? Well, I'm no longer under the 
the SFA banner of um, gagging, so to speak. I think it was an absolutely, to, to use his word, I think it was a horrendous public statement to make. I think straight away you're throwing your, first of all, you're, you're throwing your head of refereeing under the bus yep. because he's been coaching them for a number of months. And again, from the people I speak to, they've undertaken numerous hours to try and, to, to try and get this right. I've alluded to earlier, if you can't get it after these 70, 80 games, don't you not extend it to 120? Extend it. Do as long as you need until these problems are ironed out. They have been running it behind closed doors. So I know SPL games have been getting um, barred, so to speak, and the opinions and the feedback's been coming. But I don't want to go to my work on a Monday and hear that my chief executive is telling me that I'm rubbish. I'm not going to get this right. To me, that's my interpretation. But that statement must have went through some form of SFA communication. And somebody from the communications department has allowed that statement to go out. I thought it was very untimely, very um, unnecessary. Um, and I actually felt sorry for my, for my former colleagues that the, the SFA chief executive said that, particularly 24, 40 hours later, Crawford Allen, who's a great guy, really, really nice guy. He's very, very committed to refereeing and improving it, and so is his department. But for him to come and say, right, guys, we're going to go live on the 21st of October. Uh, I, I really was bemused by, or bemused by what he, what he came out and said. I, I thought it was just really, really baffling statement. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree with, with any of that. I think... It, I think it's one of those occasions where you you just support it, you just go, right, you don't say, the last thing you say about anything to do with new technology is that, oh, it's going to be a shambles for the first three months. We, I don't think we understand that as football fans. I think you're going to see a lot of scrutiny coming via the towards the referees that they, aren't, they are getting just now, but just don't say anything. Just, just support the decision. Just do not make things harder and more intense than they need to be. And that leads me to my final point on this before we preview the games that are going to be under the VAR microscope. This The standard of refereeing in Scotland is not great. I think we can both agree on that. I think it could always be improved on. Is this going to improve the standard of referee? Is this, is this going to be beneficial to the referees? Is this the help they need? I will go back to my previous statement saying it it, it, it will be beneficial to referees, but only if it's interpreted and applied in the right manner. Now, I could go out tomorrow and referee, well, not I couldn't because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not involved anymore, uh, but I, I could go out tomorrow and referee a game, think you've done brilliantly, come home, nothing's happened, right? I'll pick up the Sunday mail the next day. Des wrote six. My kids at school used to call me Mr. Roach Six. That was my, <laughs> that was my, that was my name. But uh, it will be beneficial to referees. It absolutely will be. The longer we go on using it, they become more comfortable. Comfortable. It's probably like learning to drive. You pass your test. First couple of months, you'll maybe have a couple of wee, oh, couple of clear misses, couple yeah. of oh, close ones. You become more confident using the technology. You become more confident when to make that tight corner, refereeing will be exactly the same. I think it will be beneficial. We will have those road bumps along the way. I think 
with regards to the current level of refereeing, the biggest thing for me this year, and I've been so, so happy to see it, is a lot of young guys are now getting a chance Mm -hmm. in the top league in Scotland. David Dickinson, Matthew McDermott, Graham Granger, David Rose, now FIFA, Craig Napier's in there a lot more. You're getting guys who have been given that opportunity. You can't stagnate progression. So Willie's coming to the end of his career. Kevin Clancy's been there for a number of years. Don Robertson's still very good. Nick Walsh, in my opinion, is our best referee. So there is a more flood of young guys coming through. But what it does come down to is recruitment numbers are always quite high to come into the classes and then they'll plummet because a couple of guys will come and do it and they'll go, oh, right, that's not for me. Yeah. To keep them in the game, what you need is proper education for them, mm. proper training for them, show these guys how to how to officiate, show these guys, buddy them up with more experienced guys, help them through, help them get through the first couple of years and move on. But I I wouldn't say that it's the worst crop we've ever had. I would never ever say that. I, I think that's would be disrespectful to my to my former colleagues. But I think it's a very good foresight that the refereeing department, Crawford Allen, Craig Charleston are trying to bring through new guys, but what they have to do to increase this stream of coming through is the most important thing for me is the education and the training of these young referees and supporting them, enhancing them and making sure that they stay with us. And that it's no different from a football team. How do you get youth team players and reserve team players into your first team? You nurture them, you help them, you progress them in the right way. Yes, some will fall out, some will drop by the wayside, but do you know what? A reserve team at each club looks maybe two, three every so often to break through into the first team. See if refereeing can do that every every couple of years and you're getting two, three new guys in. A couple of guys drop off at the top. They come back down and they mm-hmm. help educate again. Yeah. I think it's a revolving door, but it's education and training is the biggest thing for me. Yeah, it's going to be, a, it's going to be an interesting, obviously, implementation to... Scottish football, I think we're going to talk about it a lot over the podcast and in the next few years, but it certainly can have certainly benefited a lot from your kind of explanations on it. So it's it was it's been great to have you on and talk about it. But we have six games to talk about Premiership preview. Habs versus St Johnson is obviously a big game for both clubs. It's gonna be the first game of VAR. I fancy Habs. I think Habs will win two 0 What do you think? So this is the one. Isn't it? All eyes, all eyes mm-hmm. of Scotland will be on it. And it's not this on the is... TV, which I find bizarre. Do you know what? I, I mentioned that in the podcast. I, think I said, imagine the first game we've had and it isn't on TV. And then we said, well, it's no surprise, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> so uh, for me, Hibs, they're desperate to overcome from last week, having a, a five-goal deficit. Um, St. Johnson, they're, they're needing to break their three-game losing streak. Sat Hibs, they're sat third at the moment, so they want to show they deserve to be there and show the influence of the new manager. So, yeah, I'm going to Hibs win. Hibs win. The, the first VAR game live on the TV is at Tynecastle Hearts host Celtic. This could be this could be a perfect game for VAR to get there. This could be quite feisty. I do fancy Celtic. I think Hearts are on a bit of a sticky, sticky run. I think Celtic are beginning to have a groove again. I'm going to go Celtic 3-1. Well, Hearts have only got 1-1-5 in, in in recent matches. Mm-hmm. But, and they've had lots of injuries yeah. recently. 
Um, so in their seventh, and that's not where Hearts and McLean they expect to be. I think for for Hearts to make it, um, they've got to get Ten Castle going, and then there'll be a massive atmosphere there. Mm-hmm. Massive atmosphere there. Celtic goal, they're coming ten goals in two games. They've also got fresh players available from from midweek. You've got James Forrest who scored a hat trick last week. Yeah. You've got you've got Giacomakis coming in. I think Celtic will be will be too strong for them. I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two 0 Two 0 It's it's gonna be an interesting one. A massive game at the, the bottom end of the table, I think. Kilmarnock at home to Ross County. Two sides, badly struggling for goals. This this could be a pivotal game in terms of who's who gets a week and a a wee bit of safety. Yep. I do fancy Kilmarnock. I know Lafferty's he's a big mess and he will be for the next few months. Ross County are really struggling. I think they're struggling for goals. I'm gonna go a tight game. I think Kilmarnock will win one nil. So Kelly on the up. Um, they've also got a lot of momentum coming from from midweek. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the way they're moving, they've got the influence of, of Dale and Doc in there, which is also shown on the team. They both drew in domestically last week. Um, I think the big thing is they're both on nine points, mm-hmm. and they both they both need this win because they need to create a gap to get between them and the others. But also, if they get if they go up the way with three points then they're closer to the middle of the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a massive game. Um, the way Kelly been on the run, I think Lafferty will be a, be a huge miss. Um, I was I was going to go a draw, but I think the fact that Kelly won midweek and hopefully that carryover will continue. So I'm going to go Kelly 2-1. Next game, Motherwell host Aberdeen at Far Park. Motherwell will be hoping to to pick up from Wednesday night, a poor, a poor, a poor result. But Aberdeen are in pretty good form. Big win over Hearts last weekend, and obviously beating Partick Thistle. I think this could be a draw. I think Motherwell. I don't think they'll make it easy for Aberdeen. I think Aberdeen can be a bit hot and cold. I think a lot of people will probably fancy Aberdeen in the form they're in, but it doesn't always work like that. With Aberdeen, they can have two really good performances and then hit a week in a roadblock. I think no, no. I think there's a, there's always a nil-nil in a Premiership game somewhere every weekend, and I think this could be it this week. Well, Aberdeen, obviously, two great wins, and their, their confidence is, is going. Um, they're only one point behind Hibs with a game in hand against mm-hmm. them, so they could they could look at this as being an opportunity to make that to make that jump. They did lose to Motherwell earlier in the year, and Motherwell have lost the last two games. But those games have both been against the old firm, mm-hmm. which is, is difficult. I'm going to go for Aberdeen on this, purely for the fact that Motherwell have came from two old firm defeats, which is acceptable. Fair enough, that's fine. But I think Jim Goodwin is looking to build upon this, and I think he'll his team really, really go and think, if you get this win, you can go up to third, because depending on how the, the Hibson Johns game, I think um, I'm going to go for Aberdeen 1-0. Next game of the weekend, Rangers host Livingston. This is interesting now. Rangers are badly in need of a performance. Obviously, it all depends. If Celtic have beat Hearts, it could be five points. Rangers will be looking to to close the gap as soon as they, they go behind. Or it could be a case of maybe Celtic drop points and Rangers have a big opportunity to close the gap further. Rangers are badly in need of a, of, of a performance, but 
one thing about Livingston is we know with David Martindale, he will go there with the he will have his team fired up, ready to try and get something from this game. I do think Rangers will win. I think I don't think this will be a spectacle. I don't think this will be a, a game for the neutral. I think it'll be two 0 Rangers. I just I think Rangers will get it done, but I certainly don't think Livingston will make it easy. Oh, it's a, it's massive, massive for Rangers, particularly depending on how the result goes earlier on at Tyne Castle. Rangers need two things here. They need a result. They absolutely need a result. But they also need to get the fans on side. Mm-hmm. That's I think that they need to get Ibrooks, get a bit of confidence going again. Confidence in the team, confidence in the manager. Levy will be <laughs> Levy will be up for it. David Martindale, he against all firm games, they only know how to play one way. Yeah. And they're they are going to go at it. They will not give Rangers any any quarter. Um, it's going to be a really, really tough ask. I think Rangers will make a couple of changes to the team, uh, and they should be too strong. But and Kolak, I would imagine Kolak will be be back in. Um, be interesting to see if they play Morelos up front with him. I doubt it, but um, I'm going for Rangers two 0 we agree on that final game St Marin versus Dundee United that's an interesting game because St Marin have started really well probably been the su- surprise package so far this season but Dundee United they are beginning to get to improve a bit in the league they've had a, a good wee run obviously a disappointing result during the week in the cup but I could see this going either way I think both teams will be will be fancying a chance here Dundee United 2-1 I think Dundee United will just edge it I think I think this could be a, a result for the United. I think this might be a nil-nil draw. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be a game that I'm at this weekend. I think um, Stephen Robinson is starting to get a tune from mm-hmm. St Man. Absolutely. It was a wee, wee bit of a slow start. Uh, I've been really, really impressed with Mark O'Hara in the middle mm-hmm. of the park for St Man this year. I think he's really composed. Um, he's, he's, he's very good. Dundee United... They need to move up the table. It's a tough gig for Liam Fox coming there replacing uh, Jack Ross. And as a young coach, it yeah. must be given time. Must be given time for him and Stevie Crawford to try and try and implement what they're wanting to do. The only bit that sinks my stomach is you've got Tony Watt, Stephen Fletcher, Jamie McGrath, um, Middleton, Dylan Levitt. They've got chances to score from yeah. all across the park. Um, it's, I know I'm saying no, no. I think that might be my heart rule in my head. <laughs> um, I'm sticking with no, no, but I think it might be one nil Dundee United. It's going to be an interesting weekend. But we'll certainly review the the busy weekend in the Scottish football show on Monday. We will have a, a panel to talk about all the the goings on over the weekend. We also this weekend have the. The Rangers journey going out on Friday. We'll look at uh, where Walter Smith laid Rangers to three in a row. We've got a lot of content coming out. The new National Hunt column will drop on Saturday as well. We're looking at Cheltenham's October meeting. And we're going to wrap up the show there, Des. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thank you very much for informing us on VAR. And I hope you're the same as me. I hope we just see it coming in and certainly improving Scottish football because that's what it's there to do. But it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. No, you're very, very welcome, Scott. It's not a problem at all. And say happy to help you and join in at any time that you you want to hear my 
my, my boring opinions. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed to everyone that's tuned in. Please follow us on social media for more consistent Scottish football coverage and subscribe to our YouTube and podcast channels. We'll be back on Monday with a new episode of the Scottish Football Show. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks.